0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me today, Cam Russell, we have the returns of... He is a producer with the uh, morning run on BFM, and uh, we used to work together at Esquire magazine. He is Wei Boon.
1: Hello, thank you for having me.
0: Uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. And a while ago, I did a one-on-one conversation with her, uh, but she's the first time around this sort of discussion aspect of a bit of culture. She's a historian, which is the most important <laughs> thing. And also the uh, president of um, uh, Imagine Malaysia. She's a historian. That's what counts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, she is Netusha Naidu.
2: Hello, hello.
0: Hot off her master's. You've just finished your master's.
2: Yeah, I did. You passed? Um, Yeah, I've got distinction for the TC, so I'm
0: happy. Okay, (laughs) well done. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, And our three topics this week are topic number one is historical accuracy in movies. Is it important? Topic number two is how people died back in the 19th century. And finally, topic number three will be the middle-class Malaysian obsession with extracurricular activities for the children. One of the longest titles we've ever had. But first of all, Sim, historical accuracy in movies.
1: Yes, so um, uh, I want to talk about this because uh, I was watching a movie, well, for the second time, because it's one of my favorite, which is The Favourite, is by Yorgos Latimos, it's about Queen Anne. So, um, and then, you know, I thought about like historical accuracy, stuff like that. And yeah, uh, so I was just like wondering, what do you guys think about that Because for me personally, it's, 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 it, 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 there's no one size fit all for that thing. Cause I think like the, sometimes when I think about it, there's kind of like a trade off between entertainment and um, historical accuracy. Cause sometimes when the film is really, really good, I find myself a bit more forgiving on the details that they've left out. If the film's really bad, then you know, you obviously you're going to find uh, various reasons why you are complaining about movie. But you know, when like, like Kingdom of Heaven, when I was watching it, you know, this is amazing. You know, oh no, I, I really like this and all. And then when I read about it, it's like, wow, okay, everything is not true there. So, you know, I, mean, I feel bad about it, but, you know, my ending conclusion would be like, ah, it's okay, you know, I enjoyed the movie. So, you know, I know Cam, you have a lot of thoughts about this. And, you know, Natusha being a historian, uh, you know, it would be interesting to get your thoughts about it. So what do you guys think?
0: Natusha?
2: That's funny because I'm always interested. I like to watch biopics and films that are historically based, right? So... You know what's really interesting is like because like you know you have so many people criticizing every film has some historical error even though it's historically based um, or there's always a call out on how certain things are inaccurate and most of the inaccuracies stem from anachronisms you know and it's so funny because I had like it's funny that you brought this up because I had a whole lesson when I was a school teacher for a bit um, on anachronisms and historical inaccuracies in films. And I got my students to question and wonder why are anachronisms there in the first place? Like, you know, um, film companies have the budget, probably even cartoons for that matter, to do all the research, you know, plugging all the loopholes, right? So why do they? And as like, I mean, as a historian, right? And when you look at why these inaccuracies take place, it's because they are poetic license to a certain extent and a lot of times the anachronisms are there for humor at times yeah. it's for humor or it's because they, you know even historians themselves are not able to plug those gaps because there's not enough primary sources especially say if you do like something on the early modern period you know uh, and for example Putri Gunung Leda that's a film that's gotten a lot of flack for you know mm. historical inaccuracies but the truth is like how are you going to portray um a film like that when we don't have so many resources or um, analysis to kind of perfectly reconstruct how the early modern uh, period in Nusantara, like, you know, looks like, right? And even The Crown, probably The Crown is an interesting, Mm. um, yeah, especially like season four. Like, I watch all of it. I'm like, because it's historical reimagination of people who are still alive. So I think a lot of it is also just kind of, trying to visualize things and that's why there are historical inaccuracies and you don't have a complete picture so it's up to the filmmaker and director producer research team to kind of just like plug those things and i mean like some people think it's unethical but i don't know like i haven't really made up my mind
0: (laughs) yeah well i I think that it it shouldn't as you say sim it shouldn't get in i mean if you're thinking about it then then there was a problem in the storytelling um it's, it's so, But I would mention a few films which I do really get my goat. One is, uh, there's a movie about, I was thinking about this movie uh, from the 1950s about the Krakatoa volcanic explosion. And it's called Krakatoa East of Java, when actually Krakatoa is actually west of Java. And I have no idea why they decided to put this complete inaccuracy in the title. But I guess, you know, it made sense on one level. Also, um, the movie nineteen seventeen. See, the First World War is my jam. I mean, it's like it's mm. you know, just if you get, just don't come at me with the First World War, okay? I know it inside out. All right, and uh, and at the at the end of that, spoiler alert, but oh, I don't care. The um, there's this one battalion. It's a single battalion, which is what four hundred men are gonna are gonna attack the Germans without artillery support. I mean, that's insane. All right, yes. by the year nineteen seventeen, would never happen, and it's it. It undoes the whole movie for me because it's like clearly you are so willing to play loose with historical truth. It's like why are you even bothering to make this film? Um, but the other, I would mention finally, uh, the movies of Werner Herzog, the documentaries, especially of the German filmmaker Werner Herzog. He kind of tells you up front that there's good that he lies, so he's making hmm. a documentary, but that he's going to make up stuff. So you're watching it and you're going, this is really compelling and absorbing and convincing, but I kind of know that something's going to be not true. Um, and, and if you are told up front that a movie is based on truth, historical truth, well, it's not, it can't be, it can never be. So in a way it's better if you do say up front, some of this is true, but some of it's a bunch of lies.
1: So, so yeah. that's what Yorgos uh, said about his movie, The, the Favourite, which is he said that like, you know, um, some of what this film portrays is accurate, but a lot of it is not, you know, but that's like in a post-interview. And I think in situations like this, what's interesting is you always find it more forgiving when it's a comedy, as opposed oh, yeah. to maybe a serious movie, an action movie, you know. I know there's, like, movies about, like, presidents of America and stuff like that, you know, which are, take a very serious tone, but also are inaccurate, you know. Um, and then there are comedies about, like, you know, all the similar things. And, you know, as much as they try to kind of, like, portray it in an accurate manner, they still take liberties with some things that happen, some names, some fake characters. But you find yourself a bit more forgiving. I find that that's an interesting aspect as well into how you look at it. But I think at the end of it, all, I think, Maybe back then in like maybe the 80s or the 70s when they were doing films uh, that uh, historical films that were less um, accurate and took more creative license, I feel like you could be more angry and critical of it because back then there was no internet so there's no alternative source of information for you to learn about you know what really transpired. So you know when you watch a movie then you really really believe that's how it is you really really believe, how uh, everything is portrayed and that's very accurate when it comes to kind of like um, portrayals and of stereotypes and whatnot you know of Asians of World War Two and how you know Japan and you know what happened in Southeast Asia so when they do films like that and they take artistic, artistic license in portraying um, Asians and all these other stereotypes people back then when they were watching it they believed it but I think now it's I wouldn't say the onus is on the on the audience to go pick up a book and read or go Google it in the and see like whether this film is accurate, but you know I feel like there are sources of information out there, and if if this film really sparked your interest, you know naturally you'd be curious to look into it and read more about it.
0: Yeah, cool, and and I think that we could actually follow up. We could do a whole uh, episode on um, the historical accuracy and inaccuracies in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Um, (laughs) But
1: I do, I do have one more point to add. I think for me, the, not, I wouldn't say the rule break, the break, but the ones that, the one that would like make me feel uh, uncomfortable after finding out is when they change the narrative or kind of the, 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 the emotional aspect of whoever they're portraying, you know, like, let's say, yeah, yeah. Let's say, you know, like, like, you know, I'm pretty sure there's some white nationalists out there that will have a crazy idea. Like we need to show um, World War II from Hitler's point of view And then they'll make a film about how he's a great guy And then, you know, when you watch that you know Enough people watch that, they will Have a, you know, change In perspective, and when people do that uh, That's when I feel that It's, you know, crossing the ethical Line, and it's kind of wrong Yeah, so
2: no, I think that's like uh, One of the major concerns Right, like, you know, slight an- anachronisms Of like, you know, for humour Or whatever, or to Reimagine mm. certain historical periods, but revisionism is like another ball game altogether and uh And you are right because you know uh filmmakers need to take responsibility for rewriting narratives or recreating narratives in visual form as well. And, yeah, you know, it can be propaganda at times. I mean, it happens a lot. Like, mostly, I think yeah. biopics are a site for a lot of revisionism, actually. Yeah, so.
0: exactly. Yeah, well, we have to move on now because I I don't want you to start telling me that um, people didn't have uh, dinosaurs as pets as portrayed in the Flintstones. I'm, I'm just not prepared to. <laughs> I, I don't want to face a world where that didn't happen. Um, so... <laughs> uh topic number two is um things that people died from in the 19th century i'm just going to almost list a whole bunch of things because i've um i've been i've, I've been reading i'm rereading the the memoirs of uh, ulysses s grant the, the great american general and president it's a fantastic book and he's is it accurate it. i don't know he wrote it it's about himself i mean there have been yeah i mean pe- people contended on that one but um he- he's always mentioning how people die and and also many other things that I've read as well. I'm always keeping an eye out for things, mentions of how people died. And so, um, and I think that these are a whole bunch of things that we don't think about now. We don't die from these. And we live longer now and more healthily for a longer time than ever before. Uh, my mother's generation would have experienced the same thing, but my grandparents' generation, no. Um so uh, we don't think about that. And I think it privileges the way that we look at the past and we imagine how people were. So anyway, so Ulysses uh, so S. Grant mentions that people, for instance, died a lot from, say, yellow fever, cholera, um, being crushed by horses, uh, from a thing called vomitus, which, uh, which I don't even know what that is, <laughs> and uh, ague. Ague is a kind of a generic term for fever, but it usually describes malaria. And uh, when he, for instance, transported, he, as a soldier, he had to transport a whole bunch of people across the isthmus of uh, Panama before there was a canal. And he said that a fifth, one fifth of all the people that he took over died. If you even just were going to the shops, you, you could have just dropped dead. Uh, for instance, Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens had a, a child, a little baby. And one day he was playing with the baby. Everything was fine. He went off to give a speech. As soon as he finished the speech, he came off the stage. He had to be told that his baby had just died. The baby had a fit and was dead. I was like, had no idea what that was. Uh, Charles Dickens himself was involved in a train crash where the front part of the train fell off. The, it was only traveling at 30 miles an hour. It falls off the line. Like the whole front half of the train, everyone dies. He manages to survive. This is another thing also that, uh, that um, a lot of people mention. Uh, bo- steamship boilers just exploding. Uh, for instance, at the end of the, the U.S. Civil War, there was a, a steamship called the, the Sultana, which uh, exploded on the Mississippi River, and uh, 1,200 people died. Soldiers returning back, they died. That's almost half the number of people who were killed at the Battle of Gettysburg. but And that was a two-day battle. Uh, so what I'm saying, you know, traveling on a horse, going to the theater, you could die. The place could set on fire. And we don't think about any of these things now which is why I think COVID-19 has been a bit scary because it's a blast from the past. And the last time there was a very big epidemic was in 1918. And more people died from that than from the First World War that had just happened. But I, in real numbers, we're going to surpass that with COVID-19. We're actually going to have more people die this time. Um, so I'm just thinking that we... Uh, oh, and, and also... Um, In the past, Europeans and Americans, for centuries, every single thing they did, both men and women, they did while drunk. Uh, Even if it was just a little bit, because the only way to drink safe water was to have it fermented as beer or wine, which is why tea became so popular, because finally you could drink water um, without having to get drunk. So (laughs) that's another aspect. Um, So anyway, so I, I thought we just, you know, we think, oh, they're just like us. No, they weren't. They were terrified they were going to die. And they probably did. Thoughts on that? That's really grim. That's the
2: only thing I'm thinking about. It got really dark really quick, Cam.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 I mean, I've read before and, you know, I've watched Dr. They say that, like, yeah, life expectancy back then was, like, very, very, very low. Like, you know, if you live to see your 30s, it's pretty much, uh, you know, good for you. But I think the the most surprising fact to me about that time was also how little showers people take, <laughs> and oh, yeah, 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 you know, and you're, and you're the favorite
0: to, again, aren't you? Yeah,
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, and that led to like you know disease and whatnot. So yeah, but I I don't think that like they're just like us. I don't know if that's a, I don't know. I would disagree that like most people look back at the 19th century and think like oh they're just like us, really? just that like. Yeah, yeah. I think the concern, I mean, houses burning down and whatnot, I think that still happens quite often. I mean, you think of it in context, right? If people dying from horse rides, right, most probably because they were on a horse going somewhere, transportation. Um, in today's context, that would be driving a car, riding a motorcycle, which a lot of people die from. Yeah. So, you know, so in terms of the uniqueness of the death, yes, but the context has not really changed, I guess.
0: Okay. Natusha, mm-hmm. were they just like us?
2: You know, one thing that, I, that did come across my mind as, you know, both of you were talking is like, this is kind of like, there's a bit of a Eurocentric gaze towards mortality and life in this um, comparison, right? Because like, like, I mean, what we are describing is like, you know, um, the 19th century was a time of environmental change, you know, cities were being built and, you know, that's why you have all the sanitation problems in England and. You know, and proliferation of all these like cholera and things like that, right? Um, viruses, people dying from fever because of you know, um, sanitation issues. And you know, I remember you know the Bronte sisters. Like, I forgot what's the town they are from. And there's a museum there as well. Um, Cam, do you remember the name of the town? Because oh, I can't I remember.
0: Is it Yorkshire or something? Not, I don't really know.
2: I was near Yorkshire. It's yeah. like in um, uh, Bedford near Bradford mm. um. But anyway, like, you know, um, and that is like an interesting place because um, you see a site of like public health um, issues in the 19th century and early 20th century are stemming from um, issues of industrialization, right? And then the other thing is like, because like, um, maybe that's why people do draw um, parallels to that period to now COVID-19 because... We are living to like, you know, a climate emergency or climate crisis, right? And um, people are moving around, traveling and, um, you know, and I think uh, in that sense, one of the parallels is because like our world has become so globalized and industrialized um, that we think, um, oh, you know, like we're seeing the jarring inequalities that we would have recalled in like Victorian England or like whatever, right? But the other thing about it is that a lot of people in the global south, or like at the margins of this industrialization and modernity, have suffered to losses and mortality, you know, diseases. And we don't know a lot about it because it was not seen as significant, you know? Then I think that's why like this whole body of like you know, historical scholarship on the history of medicine is really important because, Mm. and of course, there's this whole movement to like, you know, scholars who talk about the need to decolonize it because we just think about, when we think about disease or public health and things like that, it's so much rooted in like the city. I mean, since I specialize in Southern Thailand, right, and, you know, reading a lot about, high mortality rates in the 19th century, 18th century as well in those areas because there were so many massacres, Mm -hmm. you know, of like Patani Malays in this time. And it's all recorded, by the way, and land being burned. And so it's also a connection to climate crisis as well, right? Because, you know, all this burning caused pollution and, you know, land become infertile uh, as a result of all these burnings who were meant to get rid of like villages and wipe out entire populations. But these things are not Part of that conversation around mortality and death. I think we have too much of a preoccupation with like industrialization and modernity that we kind of displace like you know um, narratives of death and disease and mortality like outside that realm. Well, yeah.
0: Uh, I- Good point, all. So we must move on, but I, yeah, I forgot to mention the tropical ones. Uh, I was going to list list a bunch of those, including berry berry, and uh, which we oh, know yeah. yeah and now. Uh, and also one because uh, uh, Sim, you're from Sarawak. Uh, quite a lot of people used to get eaten by crocodiles, which uh, yeah. I mean in Sarawak, so it, that's a that's just a regular thing in Sarawak, isn't it? I mean, it's like you know. Well, I, mean, I don't know about
1: now, but yeah, I mean there were cases and
0: okay we'll move on and uh, but think about that folks you know think about how you, you used to die back then i just want to finish one thing my grandmother on my on my well both sides actually my grandmother on my father's side my malay grandmother she she died when she was like 42 or something and she was considered to be an old woman and my my mother's mother she looked so old but she was 65 um which is not oh. much older than I am now.
1: <laughs> well, um, I mean it's a different lifestyle, right? I mean nowadays you can like, you know, have creams and whatnot. You don't the labor you know, the labor that you do is not as hard as back then, you know. You go when you go somewhere you drive a car. You're protected from the environment somewhat. So, you know. Yeah. I, I think that also Some of us at
2: it. least some of us yeah. Some of us.
1: The privileged okay. middle class.
0: Well, uh, well, speaking of privileged middle class, we're going to come back to that uh, in a moment here <laughs> with topic number three on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Russland, Simwee Boon, and Natusha Naidu. And now, Natusha, a long title for this this topic, which is the uh, middle class Malaysian preoccupation with uh, extracurricular activities for their children. And you experienced this in the form of learning music did you not
2: oh yeah i mean not just music there's also taekwondo if you want to broaden it right so like um it's so funny because you know like my whole childhood kind of just went in a blur all my time was spent you know in from school and straight away like tuition classes followed by you know piano lessons and taekwondo my mom was very ambitious in that sense because um she never had um, a lot of these opportunities to pursue uh, hobbies and whatnot when she was growing up, because she didn't have parents who supported her on those endeavors. My dad was um, I mean my dad's from the plantation, you know, grew up in a plantation and very like oriented on money. He's like, everything you need to do is like you should, you know, you should make money from it. So he never saw the value or he didn't understand my mom's perspective. But it's like anyway, because you're like, the mother and like the caretaker of the house, so you sort out all these things. I'll just provide the money, and so for my mom was like, oh, you need to, um, go for music piano lessons. Uh, like everybody else, every other middle class kid in Semban was doing that. Then she found out about Taekwondo, and she said, okay, you need to go for Taekwondo, and. So by the time I finished like Form 5, I didn't have like the regular thing where everyone's just like bumming around or things like that. Because most of my time, you know, weekdays were just crammed with all these activities. And um, of course, at the end of it, like, I had the grades for my SPM. I also had grade 8 piano and a, a- ABRSM grade 8 piano uh, certification and a black belt in taekwondo. So your, mo- like, your, okay, mother was,
0: you. your mother was right? Yeah. So sure. yeah. Are, are you complaining here or are you saying what a fantastic thing it was?
2: No, it was so funny because that's the thing. I feel very, really, um, it was, I was very conflicted about it and I still do feel conflicted about it. And I wonder how many people felt that way about it because like I feel like I didn't have like a regular childhood, you know, Um, as in like the fun bits of more carefree kind of like mindset. Right. At the same time, my mom was like, She was very determined that we had social capital to, you know, and social mobility. And she felt these were things that created social mobility, which I thought was really interesting because, in my opinion, that I feel like these things became not so essential as I progressed and grew up, you know, because a lot of people don't know that you know yeah i can play the piano or like i have a black belt in taekwondo it's not things like i tell people (laughs) you know it's just really like oh yeah whatever things you do in school and i wonder how it affects like other people and what other people do people see these kind of things as like part of malaysian m40 or slash middle class culture or is it not middle class is it is it you know further beyond uh middle class is it t20 now have things changed since i'm a you know, since like this was the early two thousands, right? And now, like, what about the twenty twenties? Like, do middle mm. middle class Malaysians still think this way? Do they still want to enroll their children in all these activities and consider it as uh, upward social mobility? You know, mm. what do you think?
0: <laughs> uh, well, well, Sim,
1: um, no piano, but definitely the tuition. Uh, and I think that like everyone I knew had tuition, of some form or other, and you know these are tuitions that like would go on like the whole day like that and I think where it stems from is you know you're right about the social mobility part you know because I think the par- our parents during that time they are obsessed with you know like you, you need to do better you need to do better otherwise you won't succeed in life it's the same narrative as you know study you know maths and science is the one that you need to study you need to be an engineer you need to be an accountant so it, it fell into those realms so that's why you had tuition and where these like piano dancing ballet comes in it's also, I think at that period, there's also a sudden growing realisation that like, you also need to stand out, you know. But, you know, so when you look at all your friends and you talk to all your friends, uh, you know, as parents, right, you'll be like, yeah, I sent my son to study English here. I sent my son to study science here. So you're like, oh, okay, I'm also doing the same thing, but how do I stand out? Maybe I'll send my son to study piano or something else that is seen as creative and unique so that when they finally submit their CV, it stands out, you know. And But there's also a deeper... Um, kind of like uh, uh, root of this issue which is a bit more sensitive I think is that like it's also I think a lot of middle class parents do it because um, they want you to get a scholarship you know you, you apply to the government you apply to the foundation for a scholarship and how do you stand out when you get a scholarship apart from getting good results which is that you have to show that you are just more than an academically inclined student you know you you're you're good at taekwondo you're good at this you're good at that you know you you can go for public speaking and also all these add on to like a point system that you have it equips you with the cv the shines you, and it stems from like you know only scholarship obsession because uh a lot of middle-class parents won't be able to afford to send their children to private universities. They don't, you know, a big part of them don't really trust the quality of public university. Or, you know, you know, if you're going to be a bit more real about it, is that like a lot of they know that because they're not of a certain um, part of society, they, don't, they won't get a chance to go to public university. So they, they need to f- fill all this up so that they can, you know, get a scholarship, be able to study, get a good degree and then get a good job in hopes that, you know, your children will thank me next time because then you won't, you know, do. But I think right now, um, these institutions and everything is still there because the trust in education is also eroding. So you want to pay for it. terrible.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. But there is definitely a distinction between what M40 and T20 does. You know, I have friends in M40 and T20 with children or where they went through uh, schooling life, and, you know, the M40s would be like piano and, you know, your, your, um, uh uh and all the t 20s to do something more like you know fencing or I think the oh. more expensive the extracurricular yeah. activity the more you know higher the the yeah. scale goes you know like I knew someone that like went for driving lessons because the parents uh wanted him to be a sports driver and hmm? he's like in F1 T yeah yeah I went to the UK wow. and they, you know yeah and it's all completely out and these are not cheap this is all completely out of the pocket like you know they yeah. pay for the kid to go to Europe to learn to pay for them to join the competitions, so to take the lessons, are, to rent the car. How old?
0: Well, how old? these
1: these are usually from teens until adulthood. You know, they're all like twenties now and stuff like that. It's it's, but those are like the really expensive one. And you know, um, yeah, it's there. I mean, I think as a parents, there's always an obsession with molding your child towards a vision that you have.
0: What well, you know? Can I just say? I think that um uh i don't I don't know about young people now, I really don't and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say that a big change from from your time to now is that um uh, in the last 10, 15 years, the international schools have been opened up to Malaysian kids, and so i I kind of just anecdotally i don't feel like I see all those extra tuition centers um like I used to yeah, uh, yeah. No, well, um, they've
1: also been made illegal because some what? of them are unlicensed and they're not allowed. There's a stronger enforcement <laughs> on home tuition, and you can't just simply go and teach a kid on stuff like that. Mm. So enforcement is up, yeah. But I think there's another aspect to like you know the the rise in international schools and more private schools, which is you want to send your kid there not only because of the education, but also because they will meet the right friends there. You know, oh, yeah, like, think of totally. Jolo. Think of, like think of Jolo, right? There. He got where he got <laughs> because he met the right people at school and then he became where he was now. So again, at the end of the day, I think It's parents...
0: his poster on your wall, kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> you aspire yeah, uh,
1: well, I have books about him, but no, but it's, it's... I mean, it's it's just, you know, when you're a parent, you, you always want like your kid to do better and you've got to find all kinds of ways to kind of like push them to your kind of like... um ideal perception of what is good for them you know be it extracurricular activities be you know whatever schools they want to and stuff Mm. like that maybe now there is an emphasis on what the kid wants but i think generally over on this side of the world parents still pretty much kind of like have the direction where you go
0: sim i can't wait till you're a parent i really want to see what you're going to do with your kids um (laughs) natusha what were you going to say
2: no i mean like you know, that's what I find so saddening is like there was this lack of agency and choice for the child to pick what they would want to do because like parents would think this is in trend so like for my mother it was like okay everyone in Sumban is sending their kids for piano <laughs> lessons I need to send mine too and um and and then like at one point because my my elder sister is really passionate about horses and you know and that's more of a T20 thing like horse riding let's be honest and you know, and my mom was still very determined and she was like, okay, you know, because um, it's glamorous, you know, and like, um, and my sister was really passionate about it and um, and she still is now, she like, you know, she has a good, uh, stable income and a very um, cushy job and now she can afford for, you know, horse riding lessons and pursue a career in equestrianism. And, mm-hmm. but you know, back then, like, I always felt like it was really... You know, it was hard because like my mom, my parents could only afford very briefly for those lessons. And after that, they were like, and they wanted all of us to do it. I wasn't interested. And I told my mom, I don't want to ride horses. I don't want to do this. But, you know, she was still like, no, 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 all of you must go and experience it. And then, um, um, so I wasn't interested in like continuing like, you know, horse riding lessons. And, and then after a while, my, my parents were like, yeah, we can't like afford it. It's really expensive. Because you, know, you got to get all the equipment and things like that. And they're really costly. And um, so after I stopped. And my eldest sister was really sad about it at that point. Um, but yeah, you know, because she's like, no, I want to do this. So she worked really hard. And, you know, she was mm-hmm. even like working. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, but it was interesting to see like, yeah, no, great for her. I'm really happy for her, you know. But like, you know, this kind of like, oh, how, and that's why I say like, like what you said earlier, there's certain hobbies, you know. And of course, like, you know, I'm thinking it's so much better, like, uh, our parents, like, gave us choices in what we wanted to learn, um, you know, um, as extracurricular activities, because, like, um, you know, somehow I grew to love piano, like, halfway near the end, because I had a good teacher who let me explore my interest in music um, and genres that were outside, like, classical, so, um, but yeah, you know, and taekwondo, I don't know, can I punch someone? Yeah, probably. But, but it's but not I, very useful now, I think. But, but, <laughs> so. Natisha, can I just
0: ask, though, could, just, just briefly, though, these were things that were imposed upon you. Did you want to do something else? Was there something else you'd rather have done?
2: Uh Yeah, there were things that, you know, I was interested in art. Like, I would like to go for art lessons. But so then my parents were like, meh, mm, nah, you know. <laughs> and like, uh, I wanted to learn violin rather than piano. But then my parents were like, no, piano is nicer. So, like, and then because I the think it was the... Like because like my mom was very insistent that piano solos sound terrible. Piano only sounds good in orchestras. <laughs> she was yeah, just like, "Are yeah. you gonna be playing in an orchestra? I'm not sure, but if you play piano, it's better." Yeah.
0: Well, and, but I, I
2: know she, yeah, it's like parents doing vicariously to their children as well, they right? and. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, you
0: I, we, we, must move on. But I just say that, uh, yeah. So I had to learn the violin, and it really sounded like I was killing somebody. It was, um, it was, it was a horrific sound, but. Um, <laughs> But we, we moved to from Malaysia to England uh, when I was about five years old. And all these things that you're talking about here, my mother tried to replicate that in England, and it just doesn't exist. Um, uh, to get extra tuition out there, my mother searched high and low to find somebody who would teach extra tuition. It's like she just couldn't find anybody. We had to drive miles eventually to find this one person who did it. And the, that kind of uh, regimented extracurricular, like the taekwondo, the piano, just doesn't exist out there. Um, ah, it, it, interesting. It's, it is a, it's a Malaysian thing. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it feels like it's universal, but it's not. It's a Malaysian thing. And whether it's still happening, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear from, um, from one or both of our listeners. So uh, we must move on uh, to the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Sim is going to go first.
1: Well, in respect of uh, the topic that I spoke about, there's this YouTube channel that I enjoy watching. Uh, it's called History Buffs. So H I S T O R Y B U F F S. So it's this guy that does videos and reviews of um, historical uh, biopic movies. Uh, but for him, history is very, very important. So he will break down... These are like 30-minute videos to like possibly longer where he breaks down each and every aspect of the movie from timeline, names, characters. He does it in a really entertaining way because he makes jokes, he puts memes and everything, you know. So well, what I found interesting is that, why, why I really enjoy it is because although he's criticizing the movie, um, it feels like a history lesson, but it doesn't feel super mean. It doesn't feel coming out of a bad faith. You know, he just like, he will he make remarks like, you know, I don't understand why the filmmakers that do this because, you know, this is that and this is that. But he, some, some parts he will be forgiving and give context, but it will still be a point of like, but this is wrong. You know, you should do this. You should, and it's great because then you learn something, you know, then you learn something out of it and you become more interested in it. So it's great. And I think people should check it out on YouTube. It's a great watch. It's a great dinner watch. Have dinner. Ooh, watch YouTube nice. Yeah.
0: That sounds fantastic. I want to watch that now. So let's wrap up this show yeah, yeah. so I can watch an episode of History Buffs. Was it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate sure he's done a lot of videos. So, you know, a lot of I'm just, one of your favorite movies. You can just look it up. I'm sure it's there, but otherwise there's related videos like
0: Cool, cool. By the way, I haven't watched the movie, The Favourite. You really like it, yeah?
1: I, I mean, I like the director. Um, I mean, there are other movies from him that I prefer, but um, I just watched it a few days ago and I was like, oh, it was good, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was good, I thought it was good. Okay. But it's a comedy, it's a dark comedy and, you know, it's not historically accurate. So, yeah, okay. so just just a fair warning,
0: yeah. All right. Um. Oh, I. So uh, that's History Buffs on the YouTubes. And my recommendation is there's a, a new, brand new, oh, this is like, I think probably a first on a bit of culture. This is like, it actually is a new thing that's happening. It's on HBO. It's an HBO series called Mayor of East Town. Mare as in M-A-R-E, which is uh, a female horse. Natusha, am I right? Oh. Wow. Thank you. mare,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, <that's> right. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> right. But it's actually the name of the character um, played by Kate Winslet, um, who is like a detective in a kind of uh, small city, big town, and uh, in america and um and sort of uh things happen in the town and it, it's really good uh to, I've, there's uh, two, only two episodes so far and it, it's really good and you know we're talking about historical accuracy and stuff i mean this is set in present times but you you feel a sense of authenticity and accuracy in in especially in the art direction in the way that the the houses uh interiors are dressed the sets it just feels very lived in they feel cluttered and messy and dirty and people dress badly and kate winslet doesn't wear any makeup and it's it's really good so that's the mayor of east town and um i'm not going to tell you how i saw it so uh natusha what's your recommendation
2: i mean honestly like i talked about a topic where you know i guess like there's no film recommendation for this I think <laughs> like, Not I can think of But I do like Want to add a little bit Then just to wrap up Like um, You know Like I think um, Getting our ideas of social capital, you know, to hobbies and whatnot, something that needs to be interrogated. And I hope that the children of today have more agency and choice in how they make it happen for themselves. That's all. Signing <laughs>
1: off. <laughs> I think Natusha is recommending that you learn to play the piano.
2: Certainly. Uh, it is a great <laughs> instrument. It's beautiful, but, you know.
1: Um,
0: well, but and then you good. can learn
2: the theory part of, like, horse riding, so that if you meet a T20 person, they think, oh, wow, she's actually <laughs> cultured. You know, yeah. So.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Natusha, you could always combine the taekwondo and the piano playing in one uh, lethal martial art form. Well, I don't know how that would be done, but you could try that. But the other thing is, I didn't actually ask you, if, if when you have children yourself, would you do the same to them as was done to you?
2: Uh, not in the same way, la. I just ask them if they're interested in something, and you know, like if they want to try it out, go a couple of lessons and stuff, and then commit to it if they like it. Yeah, I'd rather they pick what they wanted to learn rather than me telling them what to do. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. And and same extra tuition for them, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> no. I I'm think sorry right, for right... your future children already, lah. No, but I think in the in the future when I do have right. There is room to experiment because back then when I was growing up, you know, there was no YouTube or anything, so you can't really explore your interests or whether you're good at something. You can't test, you know. If you like something, your parents have to like, okay, I have to fork out like six months' payment for this to see if you're good at it, you know. Yeah. So like maybe when I'm in the future, if like my kid wants to do a hobby, I'm like, okay, you go watch YouTube and learn by yourself. I'll see if you're good at it. If you're not good at it, then maybe we won't invest in this. But if you're good at this, we'll see where it leads us. Yeah. But tuition is still a muscle unless unless the schools are that good.
2: <laughs> oh my uh, goodness
0: <laughs> uh, I love that Sim he's so old-fashioned um, so uh, <laughs> so that brings us to the end of this week's show and uh, only uh, reminds me now to thank special on guest Natusha Naidu
2: thank you this was fun
0: good <laughs> and uh, good luck with the PhD which you're going to be doing soon How are you
2: hopefully God willing get
1: funding <laughs>
0: <laughs> good good And thanks to you, Sim Boon. Good to
1: be here. And thank you for inviting me.
0: And uh, always great to see you. And myself, Cam Raslan. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.